Farmers are the heartbeat of rural America. Congress recently invested $20 billion in America's farmers and ranchers, focusing on conservation practices and profits for future generations. Today, these funds are at risk. You're squawking over $20 billion. That USDA program, it's investment into the future for everybody. If the funding was eliminated, it could hurt farms and families. Tell Congress, protect this generational investment in the Farm Bill. Learn more at investinourland.org. Paid for by Invest in Our Land. An all-out civil war now taking place under the GOP tent. This is going to be like a battle royale. If you've been reading the coverage lately, it's easy to believe the Republican Party is eating itself alive. The entire Republican civil war. The threat to democracy. And the civil war. Where do I stand? NBC calls it a GOP power struggle. The Hill describes deep rifts. Enormous consequences. It's also a collapse of a party. Battle of the century. So if this is a civil war, it's like Jefferson Davis decided to surrender right after Fort Sumter. <laughs> the piece that I wrote asks, in so many words, what civil war? This is Playbook Deep Dive. I'm Ryan Lizza. Can we move forward uh, without President Trump? The answer is no. Today, we're traveling through time through the last 200 years or so, in fact, to contextualize what's happening right now behind the scenes in the Republican Party. After losing the White House, the House, and the Senate, GOP leadership is duking it out in the open. Talk about awkward, given how all of this is playing out so publicly. Just on Wednesday, the minority leader in the House ousted his number three, Liz Cheney, a Republican from Wyoming. Liz Cheney spoke truth to power, and for that, she is being fired. Even as the party may just be canceling one of their own voices who dissents from the mainstream view of what the party's future should be going forward. Trump literally campaigns against incumbents of his own party. He's obsessed with punishing anyone who voted to impeach him or who criticizes his role in the January 6th insurrection. Among Democrats, who are painfully aware of their tiny, or to be honest, non-existent margins in the House and Senate, the prospect of a divided Republican Party is great news. This whole civil war would play to their advantage. But they shouldn't be so sure. The odds of a Republican victory in 2024, in my view, have materially increased. And not to understand that, is fantasy. Jeff Greenfield, who's been in and around politics for half a century now. Writing columns, which I now do for the estimable Politico magazine. If you're my age, you remember Jeff as one of the leading commentators on CNN for many years. CBS and ABC and CNN. Today, Jeff Greenfield tells us. Our it. Jeff Greenfield takes a closer Jeff look. Jeff Greenfield. Hey, Jeff Greenfield. Here to explain is Jeff Greenfield. Jeff thinks we're all totally wrong about the existence of a civil war. Instead, he argues it's a purge, a purge of anyone who isn't sticking to the party line. And that's an important difference. It might actually strengthen the Republican Party. Jeff argues there's every reason to believe it'll work. Okay, Jeff, I've used this phrase civil war. You're saying the media gets this wrong. Tell me why. We're wrong, and you're right. Convince me. There is this persistent tropism 
that if the Republican Party is lurching to an extreme position, that's political disaster. The same thing was said about Reagan. They can't possibly win an election with this politics. He only won 44 states. And I think that was doubled and redoubled because Donald Trump is so manifestly unfit uh, a, a potential president. Right up to the end, the assumption was that he was going down to a huge defeat. And I think the results of the 2020 election show that, in fact, uh, a Trump Republican Party is by no means condemned to electoral disaster. They came very, very close this last time to winning. So, so that's the heart of the argument here, Jeff, that it's not a civil war. It's a, it's a purge. Yeah. All right. If it's not a civil war... Can you accurately describe this simply as a purge if you have leaders like Mitch McConnell who are on one side of this war? If you still have Republican governors like Larry Hogan. Right. We've got to move on from the cult of Donald Trump. And you still have senators like Mitt Romney. Accordingly, the president is guilty of an appalling abuse of public trust. Or Rob Portman. The president's comments that day that they were partly responsible for what happened, for the horrible violence that occurred on Capitol Hill. Who maybe uh, aren't vocal every day and aren't fighting the war and, and, and firing shots every day, but they have taken sides. In other words, isn't, it, isn't there still a big enough a uh, band of rebels to describe this as a civil war, even though it may be uh, asymmetric uh, at the moment? Well, maybe another analogy uh, is it's the difference between mainland China and Taiwan. Uh, <laughs> there, there are folks of the Chinese descent who do not like living under communism and they're in Taiwan, or maybe they're the dissidents that are left in Hong Kong if they haven't been rounded up. But what I think has happened effectively is, and I think the McConnell example is really good. He went on the floor of the Senate, denounced Donald Trump, and then said, of course, if he's the nominee next time, I'm going to back him. Uh, and my real goal is to destroy the Biden agenda. So what I think you're, you're, you're seeing, and I think part of this is due to a kind of media impulse, find the people who are the dissenters and give them a lot of attention. I mean, Liz Cheney is going to be all over MSNBC and CNN. It already is. Liz Cheney. Liz Cheney. Liz Cheney. Congresswoman Liz Cheney is defiant. One woman who would stand up and tell the truth. Kevin McCarthy, he's going to be a pimple on the butt of history. But Liz Cheney will be remembered as a profile and courage. Uh, and will be widely covered. But unless and until you can show me some evidence, particularly at the grassroots, where there is a feeling that we've got to move beyond Trump, I'm going to remain skeptical. And one of the things I do in the piece is just recount all of the state Republican parties and what they have done to endorse the big lie, to push back against those Republicans who've been critical of Trump, uh, it's um, I, I think it's an overwhelming reality. Really, this is an argument about the media, isn't it? In part, yes, um, because I do think one of the examples that came to mind is what happened in 1980 when Reagan became the face of the Republican Party. But I ask what single issue? could be of greater significance. And the party adopted a very, very draconian anti-abortion plank. And the degree of respect shown for human life at its most vulnerable 
human life still unborn. And repudiated the Equal Rights Amendment, uh, both of which were a sharp departure from the Republican platform. And the vice chair of the Republican National Committee, Mary Chris, resigned and said, this is, you know, we are headed down a very dangerous political road. She got enormous coverage. And Reagan, you know, got 88% of the Republican vote in 1980. There he is, the president-elect. Thank you. And I think the other part that I would mention about this is after four years of Trump, when to any sentient being, the nature of what kind of president this was was beyond apparent. You know, the performance in that first debate might have triggered an involuntary civil commitment proceeding in another era. Trump got 94% of self-identified Republicans in 2020. Now, I don't know what more Trump could have done, uh, although I guess post-election we may, may be found out, to indicate to those skeptical Republicans, you can't back this guy. And indeed, there were any number of Republicans, I'm not backing him, I'm signing up for Biden. The Lincoln Project raised a gazillion dollars to apparently persuade Republicans not to vote for him. My question is, so what happened? If there is this civil war, if there is this powerful cohort of Republicans who can't stomach Donald Trump and are prepared to fight him, where are they? Except in the pages of the Washington Post, the New York Times, and the airways of CNN and MSNBC. And I get this. I understand why it would be really a good thing if huge numbers of Republicans said, no, this guy is an anti-democratic small-D figure. But I learned over the decades, having started with the William Howard Taft presidency, I have learned over the years the most dangerous thing you can do in looking at politics is to let the wish be father to the thought. You know, And I think that's part of what's going on. I want to stick with the media for a second. I want to come back to a lot of the nitty gritty about the the Civil War slash uh, purge. The airwaves of MSNBC and CNN are filled with the kind of people you talk about in the piece, what a lot of conservatives would call Republicans in name only, and still the, the, the never Trump faction. What if you were back in the cable news business, especially for cable news, how would they get this story, in your view, right without giving the airwaves to people who are spreading mm-hmm. a lot of bullshit about election fraud and, and all the rest? I think that, you know, this has been a a struggle ever since Trump showed up. How do you cover a a serial liar? Uh, You don't do what about both sides-ism and you don't do what about-ism. But if your definition of putting Republicans on your – I guess they're not airwaves, whatever the hell cable is technically. If if your version of Republicans is Michael Steele, John Dean, uh, now Liz Cheney, Uh, Jeff Flake, if that's who you are saying this is the Republican Party, you're misleading the viewers. So one of the things, and I found this all through the election, is maybe instead of doing every night hours of panels with these folks, you actually go out and cover, for instance, the, the workings of the Oregon Republican Party, the Michigan Republican Party, uh, at the state level. What are they doing? 
Now, there's plenty of room to say that when the Oregon Republican Party called the January 6th insurrection a false flag, that this is palpably false. You don't give them that attention and then not correct them with their line in their teeth. But you need to show what the Republican Party at the grassroots level is actually doing rather than assuming that the the very fine people that you're putting on uh, represent anything like a significant chunk of the party. Do you think that the way that the media covers this debate with the overwhelming dominance of the people who are purged, have left the party, uh, are not uh, in line with, with, with Trump or are anti-Trump, does that put the media, in your view, um, in the position of sort of taking a side in this, I know you don't like the word, but in this war, in other words, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. Um, is the media basically saying this is where the Republican Party should be? So listen to these sane voices, and is it a sort of act of small D democratic activism, and that's what's behind the look? We're not going to put freaking Rudy Giuliani and Lynn Wood uh, and some of these state party people who are censuring people and passing resolutions with uh, with election fraud nonsense uh, in them. Let me tease out a couple of things there. When you're talking about Lynn Wood or Rudy Giuliani, you're talking about a force that is, you know, from Planet Mongo. <laughs> you know, that's 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 not that's not what. I'm, but that's a Flash Gordon reference, isn't it? And anyway, before we get into sci-fi stuff, <laughs> I do think that there is a uh, a kind of impulse to say we've got to put people on who represent the reality-based part of what's left of the Republican Party. But what I do think is the kind of almost inability to believe that what is being said on behalf of Trump is actually representing the mainstream of what is now the Republican Party is very strong. That's the wishes father to the thought thing. And yes, I, I think in a sense you can fairly say after the last X months, we understand what Fox News is about. It doesn't take a lot of argument on the part of people you and I to say, well, that's basically pure propaganda. But that on the side of the other two news networks, the coverage was overwhelmingly based on the understandable notion that Donald Trump is a clear and present danger. And that now the position of the Republican Party, as it reflects voting access and other kinds of limits, poses a real danger to democracy. And and the hard part is to recognize it. If the 2024 election were to be held with Trump running, with the same basic profile as what we had in 2020, the changes that have been and are being enacted by the Republican Party at the state level would make it much more likely that Trump would wind up being handed the presidency. Yeah. And now that's a the pre- voting restriction. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, you yeah. know, all, all of it. Never mind what would happen if the Republicans took over the Congress and were the ultimate certifiers of the Electoral College. You know, this is chilling stuff as much as anybody else. I share in the notion this would be a genuine danger to our system. But to pretend, therefore, that there's this huge pushback among Republicans, I think is delusional. Let's go back a little bit in the in the 2021 chronology. It seems like after the insurrection of January 6th and after the 
floor statement that Mitch McConnell made even during the impeachment trial and after the small band in the House uh, voted for impeachment, it did seem like there was a window in the party where the resistance, where the small band of of anti-Trump rebels had a moment where they could have purged Trump and Trumpism, and it closed rather rather quickly. What do you think happened in that sort of crucial January period when there was an intense spotlight on Trump's responsibility for January 6th and an unusual event of impeachment and trial of a president who wasn't even in office anymore and some of the most prominent Trump allies taking sides in the anti-Trump direction and some of the polls even showing that Republicans were embarrassed by what happened on January 6th and may have wanted Trump to finally be in the rearview mirror. Correct me if you think any of that's wrong, but it seemed like there was this window where things were on a knife edge and then the window closed and Trump reasserted control. What's, What's your version of those events? What I basically think happened was that there was a massive pushback from the grassroots saying, how dare you in any way uh, challenge the dear leader's assertion that he was robbed. For me, one of the signal events was Kevin McCarthy heading down to Mar-a-Lago right after that kind of, oh, I guess he was partly responsible for what happened. The instant push from the Trump supporters, I think very quickly convinced the lion's share of Republicans, that there was no profit here. And Lindsey Graham, who in some ways is more candid than some of his colleagues, was saying there is no way to move forward without Trump. We are five votes away from taking back the House. We are one Senate seat net from taking back the Senate. We cannot do this without Trump being on our side and us being on his side. And they, I think, made a pretty quick calculation that the cost-benefit analysis would in no way profit them if they actually said, you know what, this ex-president of ours, uh, we've got to abandon him. Uh, That's what I think happened. I I think one thing about Mitch McConnell – uh, there's a reason why one of his biographies is entitled The Cynic, <laughs> is he, acts, he, he understands power and the danger to it as well as anybody in Washington. And I think the calculation was made either instinctively or after getting a, a look at the pushback that we can't do this. And then there was another cohort that is perfectly prepared to simply say what you saw happen on January 6th didn't happen. You know, those are the Paul Gosars of the world, you know, and the Ron Johnsons of this world. It was a peaceful protest, First Amendment rights, or it was a false flag. It was all Black Lives Matter at Antifa. And I'll just have to add, the fact that some of these state parties come from states where, where moderate and liberal Republicans used to thrive is another indication, Ryan. You know, Oregon was the home of Mark Hatfield and Bob Packwood. You know, Michigan was the home of Bill Milliken. Pennsylvania was the home of Tom Ridge and Richard Schweikert and folks like that. And if the state Republican parties in those states are so wrapped up in the Trumpian view of the world, that tells you something important. The way that Mitch McConnell 
grappled with the post-January 6th and impeachment period and the way that Liz Cheney grappled with it were uh, quite different. McConnell is still (laughs) the Republican leader in the Senate. Uh, Cheney this week was ousted from her position. How How would you assess how these two leaders dealt with this moment of opportunity to purge the party of Trump? And what lessons do you draw from those two? Because I I think they're very, and you hinted at this a second ago, they seem pretty instructive, almost like a a laboratory experiment where you have two Republican leaders in two different chambers, similar views about Trump, but one of them is gone now and the other isn't. What, What explains that? I think McConnell's judgment was, what do I have to do to keep the Republican Party as unified as possible to avoid any kind of internecine fights so that I can take back the Senate and put three more judges on the Supreme Court or whatever? And I think for Liz Cheney, it was um, a moment where the very nature of her conservatism, and she is one of the most conservative members of the House, comes to it genetically, you know, through her dad, Richard, just decided... This violates the core of what I believe is a conservative, and I can't do anything else. My feeling is maybe uh, – now you're, you're dealing with speculation. Maybe the first vote where the great majority of the House Republicans voted to keep her in power uh, misled her about what she could do and say and still stay there. And I guess at some point – it was pretty clear in the last several days that she just didn't care. That she was not going to say, oh, you know, uh, let's do one of those Stalin show trials I will, or one of those Chinese re-education programs. I will confess my error. We'll have a struggle session inside the house. <laughs> I, will see, I will see the light, and now I'm one of you. Maybe Mitch McConnell has some principles for which he would give up leadership. If you can find them, call me. Jeff. Historically, are there any examples you can think of where a losing candidate, and I don't even just mean a presidential candidate, but even lower offices, even outside of the United States, is there an example you can think of that is similar to this Trump example? Well, you could look at Berlusconi in Italy, who had a remarkable ability to rise like, you know, like Jason uh, and and he's dead. No, he's not dead. Uh, that may be an example. Uh, it, it has very different contours in a lot of ways. But the that kind of billionaire populist libertine candidate who has a base that doesn't seem to re- desert him, there may be an example there. That's the only one in my thinking that, you know, that, that makes sense. I don't, nothing else comes to mind. Yeah, I, I mean, I think of, you know, maybe even Netanyahu. Oh. That America stands with Israel. I know that you stand with Israel. Who's, of course, had his, you know, ups and downs, but has dominated Israeli politics for two decades. Year after year, decade after decade. And other countries where there are leaders who leave power but maintain their base and have this emotional bond with with their movement that that defeat does not break 
And I always wonder what it is, you know, psychologically with, with Trump and his supporters, if it's a sense of unfairness or victimhood. And mm-hmm. I wonder if that's the sort of secret here in, in that rather than leaving the stage a loser and where his supporters are embarrassed that they let Sleepy Joe <laughs> defeat him, if he's been... I don't say this admiringly, but but truthfully, you know, sort of masterful in engaging in an alternative version of events that allows his people to view his loss as the same yeah. forces that he was fighting against as president, you know, reasserting themselves. There is a line in Trump's 2016 acceptance speech that explains what you're talking about. These are people who work hard but no longer have a voice. I am your voice. I am your voice. And so much flows from that. The number of Trump people who say, he says things that I can't. When Trump says to his supporters, and this, by the way, is a line that every demagogue has used, when they attack me, they're attacking you. Huey Long said that. George Wallace said that. Adam Clayton Powell said that when they attack me, they're attacking you. And that, I think, explains a lot of of the bond you're talking about. What could change that? What could break that bond? I I was having a conversation with someone recently and they were discussing Trump's legal uh, jeopardy, if if, if he faces any legal jeopardy and if he could perhaps one day, you know, be imprisoned. I know this is, you know, this is wild speculation, but um, if New York yeah, authorities yeah. go after him aggressively on the, the some of these tax issues that have been bubbling up. And I thought, well, you know, there have been uh, demagogues in other countries that have just grown in popularity from jail <laughs> or when they go through the criminal justice system. Yeah, Berlusconi was more than one occasion uh, convicted of various crimes. Do, do you think that would do it? Real question is, what could break the bond yeah. um, and could that kind of legal, serious legal jeopardy, could, could, that, uh, could that be it? I do. Uh, well, it, on Earth One, yes. I mean, if he's, if he's facing criminal indictments for tax fraud and particularly tax fraud because it's a rich person's crime, you would think that would do it. But I could easily imagine Trump saying, well, I was indicted by the cough, cough, Black woman, cough, cough, leftist Marxist attorney general of New York. And that's more sign of a witch hunt. But I do think that that kind of, in, of a criminal indictment could persuade some Republicans to say, maybe that's not who should be our standard bearer. But given what we've seen in the past, you know, I, I'd be hesitant to say definitively that would do it. I mean, even the stuff that Trump did the, the more personally unsavory things, you know, it didn't move the meter an inch. Oh, he paid off a porn star, you know, because, oh, well, you know, that's fake news. Or, well, you know, like the Bible says, he's a pagan who's doing great things for us. So I'm not sure. There's a, uh, a, a I'm not sure if it's a syllogism or a logical train that's really important behind my argument. Right now, If you want to be in the Republican Party, you have to be for Trump. If you're for Trump, you are going to enact the kinds of restrictive voting measures that he wants enacted in the wake of what he regards as a stolen election. 
with those in place, the odds of a Republican victory in 2024, in my view, have materially increased. And not to understand that is fantasy. That's eye-opening. One other question on this, Jeff. He's not a young man, Donald Trump. Do you see any possibility for another Republican emerging to knock him aside? And it sounds like uh, I don't think any of us believe that person is going to come from the Liz Cheney, Mitt Romney wing of the party. But do you see anyone adopting a similar set of policies, you know, populist shtick and actually being able to, you know, claim the mantle of Trumpism uh, without Trump and sort of forcing him to the sidelines for 2024. As of now, barring some kind of health issue that Trump were to have, it's very hard to imagine that. Um, Look, he's younger than Joe Biden. (laughs) Still, he's younger than Nancy Pelosi. You know, it's one of the issues that you we haven't talked about and it's not relevant is the gerontocracy that is now our government. But with those, it's like I think unless Trump gives you reason to think that he can no longer carry the flag, it's very hard to see a frontal assault on him by a, a younger, more vigorous Trump. Jeff, thanks for being here. A pleasure to be here, Ron. Nice to talk to you. So Jeff did actually convince me civil war is not the right analogy here. When you cover the purge slash civil war, although I'm going to be careful about using that term now after this conversation, when you cover it up close every day in playbook the way that I do, you sort of lose sight of the long-term picture. And one thing that I think Jeff really gets at in this conversation that was eye-opening to me is that while Joe Biden and the Democrats are taking advantage of these rifts inside the Republican Party to push through a lot of big legislation, what's actually happening is a party consolidating around Trump, purging the heretics, but strengthening at the same time. And meanwhile, out in the states, passing law after law that is strengthening their structural advantage in the House, in the Senate, in the Electoral College. And what Jeff is really pointing to here is not a Republican Party that's cracking up and about to uh, collapse in any way, but that is strengthening out on the horizon and as a sort of political hurricane coming at Democrats in the next two to four years. All right, that's our show. Our producers are Adrian Hurst and Annie Reese. Our senior producer is Jenny Amint, and our executive producer is Irene Noguchi. Our music is by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. If you like what you hear, subscribe, rate, and review us wherever you're listening. We'll take you behind the scenes of Capitol Hill again next week with another Playbook Deep Dive. Thanks for listening. But is there an example where... You know, Sorry. I was told to shut off my other phones. So, I'm in a hotel, guys, and someone's, someone's calling, so I just got to, like, shut huh. this down. Sorry. <laughs>